my co-founder Itai and I were involved with this little DAO, you may have heard of it, called the, the Constitution DAO. So we were on the core team there, and it was just this whirlwind sprint of an experience. One of the big problems with Constitution DAO is we had this giant multi-sig. Hello, and welcome to Dev3, the podcast where I interview developers in Web3. Today, I have with you Jonah. Jonah runs Den. Jonah's also one of the world's experts on multi-sig transactions. He was one of the core contributors on the Constitution DAO and got to see a lot of history unfold there. He saw firsthand that coordinating 9 of 13 on a multi-sig wallet with just hours of time to make decisions was nearly impossible. And in part of that process, he decided that he was going to make an entire company dedicated to solving this DAO multi-sig communication issue. So this is a wide-ranging conversation, and I think that all of us can benefit from learning about how multi-sig wallets and how multi-sig ran DAOs are able to communicate and execute these functions collectively. If we learn to communicate and execute in a decentralized way, we can make more efficient solutions and better decisions that are fair for everyone. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Jonah here today is a co-founder of Den, and Den helps teams build and execute multi-sig transactions fast without compromising security. So Jonah's been in and out of crypto for a long time, for the last 10 years. And I've been friends with him on Twitter for quite a while now, so I'm excited to finally get a chance to chat. Jonah, let's start this conversation with this club you had around crypto coffee. The crypto coffee club was in 2017, about five or six of us that would hang out in this coffee shop in Ann Arbor, Michigan, go blue for those Wolverines out there. Uh, and that's actually wet where I met my co-founder, Itai Fiddler. So we basically would hang out in this coffee shop basement and talk crypto all day during the 2017 cycle. And as it actually turns out, there were two others in that group that are now co-founders as well. Uh, so it's a little bit of the PayPal mafia of roasting plant coffee house. Yeah, that's where um, my co-founder Itai and I met. We became really close and over the years just really kept in touch, even though we lived in different cities. And, you know, that coffee shop really was a defining location for kind of my launching pad into where I am today. Oh, I love that. And Jonah, you don't know this backstory for myself, but I also had a developer coffee club when I was in college. Um, yeah, shout out to the Yellow Deli back in Boulder. Nice. So yeah, we'd meet up there and we would code on random stuff, usually web projects. But yeah, it's amazing to hear that other folks had the same thing happening probably at the same time, completely different parts of the world. So yeah, with that, um, you know, you're working on Den, you're probably spending way more than 40 hours a week in this one topic area. And so I know you're an expert on multi-sigs, how, how DAO communication works with signing transactions. So let's maybe start like entry level and building up to why we need tools on top of multi-sig wallets. So, you know, the crypto asset storage problem is one that's fascinated me for a long time. Um, actually, shortly before starting Den, I ended up in a conversation with a credit card manufacturer that was starting a hardware wallet. You've probably seen ads for this hardware wallet. And someone was asking me about it. I gave some feedback, which was basically like, look, hardware wallets are great, but my mother will never use a hardware wallet. Uh, so we really need to figure out how we scale 
either better non-custodial protections or better custody for the average user. And this turned into a conversation with this credit card manufacturer where it was these five or six men, two or three times my age, basically intimidating me into admitting their product was good. Uh, And it really made me realize that a lot of people aren't really thinking about this problem of how do you store crypto assets well in a super thoughtful way? You know, storing in an EOA is obviously a very common way that a lot of folks are storing crypto assets today, whether that's a hot wallet or some sort of cold hardware wallet. You have custodial solutions, uh, something like a Coinbase, you know, just the consumer part of it or something that's a little bit more professional custody for higher net worths. Um, You have MPC, multi-party computation, which is kind of a mix of self-custody and custodial, which has a lot of benefits for security, but also has some limitations. And then finally, you have the smart contract wallet layer. The smart contract wallet layer is pretty broadly misunderstood today, despite how widely it's used. A lot of folks don't know this, but 5% of all cryptocurrencies are stored in Gnosis safes, which is the most popular smart contract wallet, most popular multi-sig solution. When folks think of smart contract wallets today, they think of two types of smart contract wallets generally. They think of the multi-sig. For those unfamiliar, the multi-sig defines an N of M schema. So let's say it's a three of five. There are five signers on that safe, and it's required that three people sign off on any transaction for that to execute. And any transaction that you can do with an EOA, you can also do with a multi-sig. Um, the other very popular type of multi-sig functions a little more closely like an EOA. The way you use it is like an EOA. This is the Argents of the world. And it is something called a social recovery wallet. So if you lose your key, you can have three friends come together and recover your assets. People are familiar with these very simple ways of smart contract wallets. But really, if you think of you know what a smart contract is, It is arbitrary code execution. So you can set any sorts of rules you want for what actually happens in this smart contract wallet. Wow. Yeah. I think you went across all the board of all these types of wallets, all of these types of uh, security features you should keep in mind as you're building up, you know, your on-chain presence and staying safe. And so I think we got into an area there that we could really dig deep on, which is like social coordination. And it sounds like this is one thing you're very focused on with Dan with social coordination and having multiple parties signing something. But on the technical side, I'd love to understand, like, let's say we have three of five for our DAO, the the Dawson Jonah DAO, which somehow I've got two wallets in there and you've got three wallets. So, you know, you don't have to have one person per wallet. But uh, and mm-hmm. first off, is all of that a proper understanding of the basic setup of Gnosis Safe? Exactly. That's the basic setup of it, of it is you have a minimum threshold, which in this example, it's three, right? At least three wallets need to sign off. And you have five people that have permission to give those signatures. Yeah, it provides greater security with a pretty simple setup. That being said, it is a highly, highly extensible system. Uh, specifically, they have these things called modules and transaction cards. And what the SAFE ecosystem is working on is how do you make these generalizable principles around programmable smart contract accounts? Okay, so so we also are talking about a DAO running Gnosis SAFE at this point too. Is that right? 
So they're they're trying to spin out. I know that there's rumors of an airdrop one day for safe the safe token. What's your relationship like with the DAO itself? Obviously, you're, you're very dependent upon them, but also they're very dependent upon good tools like Dan mm-hmm. being built on top. We have a really close relationship with the Gnosis team. We work with directly with them all the time. Uh, we've actually been selected as a safe guardian, which the safe guardians are community members that have actively contributed to the safe ecosystem that are going to be actively involved with the governance of this DAO once it's created. You know, once the DAO is fully up and running, there are definitely a few things that we have ideas around for how we want to help steward the public good in the right direction and make sure it's something that is really maintained for the long term, because this is such a critical piece of infrastructure. And I think we're really just starting to understand what it means for a public good to be well supported in the software sense. And it's a problem that's been very historically clear for a long time. You know, folks will talk about how a ton of vulnerabilities are just, well, there's this one NPM package that was used by like millions of projects. uh, And it's just one guy writing code. And one day he just stops or one day decides, you know what, I'm really mad about doing all of this work and all of these people benefiting and I'm not getting rewarded. So I'm going to like remove my package from NPM and then, you know, thousands of services go down. So were you around yeah. in, when LeftPad happened in 2015? I remember reading the news about LeftPad. That was, okay. uh, that was rough. Yeah. Uh, super quick pause. And don't forget where we just left off because I want to pick up the LeftPad story. I think it's so funny. We need to throw it in really quick. This was a, a developer who had a package published on NPM who did the rage quit that you just described. They decided they weren't getting what they wanted out of the community and they were going to force remove all of their packages from NPM. Uh, NPM is what basically every JavaScript library and most websites in the world pull from. All of the builds broke instantly because this package they had was used in so many other dependencies. And so I was actually on my computer pushing a fix at that exact moment when CI broke. And then seeing NPM respond really well to it was, was really uplifting. Yeah, NPM is now set up systems such that you can't force quit that easily. We've seen this with Andre as well, Andre Cronier from Yearn. Like there's just tens of web apps he's made that are really quality, but they're frozen in time. And although it's open source, if you fork it, you don't still have that domain name. So there's a huge problem there if someone wants to remove themselves. But And with this whole discussion so far, it, it makes me wonder, you know, every entrepreneur has a backstory. What made you so passionate about going to build the thing that you're building? Um, So could you tell us about the passion behind Den and why this problem needs to be solved and why you need to dedicate your life and your time to it at this exact moment in 2022? There were a ton of experiences that led to this, uh, both in terms of personally storing a lot of crypto in ways that did not feel very secure and ways that made me personally feel very nervous and susceptible to the $5 wrench attacks which eventually led into, you know, being involved with DAOs and seeing the struggles of DAOs managing their own multi-sigs. And really, the straw that broke the camel's back was my co-founder, Itai, and I were involved with this little DAO, you may have heard of it, called the, the Constitution DAO. So we were on the core team there, and it was just this whirlwind sprint of an experience. One of the big problems with Constitution DAO is we had this giant multi-sig. And we had a giant multi-sig for a very good reason, right? It was this organization created out of nowhere in a week. 
And we needed the community to trust that their funds were secured. So we had a ton of neutral third parties that were on this multi-sig that were trusted folks in the crypto community. The multi-sig itself, we talked about the you know N of M schema, a three of five takes a lot to coordinate people. This was a nine of 13, which was a lot of work to get nine people to sign any sort of transaction. And actually the day of the auction, Itai, as well as one of the other team members, Brian, literally spent all day wrangling different folks on the multi-sig because we needed to spend the money from our Gnosis safe to FTX because Sotheby's would not let us bid on the constitution unless it was in US dollars. So it could be on FTX in US dollars, but it had to be US dollars. USDC wasn't sufficient for them. So getting all of those signatures took a long time because, you know, people are busy, especially the people that we chose. And we actually see this with a lot of the folks that we work with at Den is they choose these very high profile people as kind of this, you know, signaling of this is a high security thing. But those high profile people are very busy. And it's hard to get their attention. And so it was really a struggle to get all those signatures needed to send the, you know, $47 million to FTX. Now, here's the crazy part. Any other transaction we want to do with that multi-sig requires the same amount of effort. You want to reimburse someone $10 for Gmail. Um, you want to pay a vendor. You want to pay out a customer. You want to interact with a DeFi protocol. You just want to claim your farming rewards, right? Something that inherently has no risk still requires all of that work. So that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. And the day after the auction, uh, Itai and I started talking about, all right, this is like really, really clear of this infrastructure of a multi-sig and of on-chain self-custody is excellent. But we really need to build a user experience that helps folks move fast. Wow. I love that it started from a real pain point that you experienced I think that's the way that you need to be solving problems because even if you don't end up making it as the world's most popular solution for something, you've scratched your own itch. And as developers and hackers, it's the dream come true to be able to scratch your own itch with the superpower of code that we have. It's going to allow you as well, Jonah, to have or has probably allowed you to just have the most passion because you're solving something that you actually see and experience as a problem to go fix. Can you go over like, you know, nuts and bolts, like if I am someone from the voter perspective, I'm, I was taking part in Constitution DAO as an example, if I, mm -hmm. if I were to have been and we had Dan, how do you make that process better? There's a few things that we make that multi-sig signer experience way better. The first thing that we ended up doing, and this was really based on our conversations with tons of multi-sig signers. We let our personal experience set us in the right direction, but every decision that we make, we want to make sure it is the biggest problems that people are facing. And the biggest one is that coordination issue. The exact one that we experienced is how do you get everyone to actually know there's a transaction to sign, know what's happening in that transaction, and know why it's happening. And so we started off with automated reminders. Hey, there's a new transaction to sign on your Gnosis safe. Here's a little bit of information on why it's happening. You can provide some user-generated context. Maybe it's a link 
to a Google Sheet that has a list of who's being paid out. Maybe it's a link to a snapshot governance proposal or a forum post. You get these notifications. They automatically follow up with you until you get that transaction executed. And along with that, we've built out a rich signing page that makes these transactions much, much easier to read. So one thing that we found with a lot of these teams is they're configuring some really interesting, complicated smart contracts. We have one customer where they have this one contract call where one of the functions has a parameter. And this parameter is a list of structs of which one of the properties of the struct is a list of structs, which in most of any viewers of transaction data is unreadable. Like you cannot properly actually understand what you're doing, which makes people hesitant to actually sign anything. If you're not sure if you're going to just send all your money into the abyss, you're really scared to actually click that sign or execute to actually execute that transaction. So those are the two big problems that we're solving so far is how do we help make it easier for folks to coordinate to get those transactions done faster? And how do we make sure they actually understand what's happening? Obviously, that list of structs containing a list of structs is a particularly egregious example. But there's even simpler examples where we just hear from folks all the time that even for super simple things, right, token transfers even, they are scared to execute these transactions because they don't want to do something wrong. They want to verify they're sending to the right address. They want to verify they're using the right token. They don't want to do the math of, well, this is 8 times 10 to the 18th. So is this really, you know, 8 of my governance token or am I sending 0.8 or 800? So tons of problems even for the simple cases, but we enable both those and the complicated ones. I was laughing that whole time uh, on my own here because I know these issues as a developer of like ether to weigh, but also if you were to just do it manually, sometimes you could be 10 or 100 off just because of the zeros. I think it's amazing that you're making usable tools there. We need so much innovation in that category. And I, I like that we approach this from the product perspective first. Now on the nuts and bolts, but on the den side, what type of tech stack are you using? So the only things that we use from Gnosis directly are the contracts themselves, uh, as well as their transaction service. So Gnosis maintains this transaction service where if you're not the last signature, right, let's say it's a three of five, you actually will do that those first two signatures off chain because it's a lot cheaper. You don't actually have to pay gas to do those signatures. So they run a transaction service that collects all of those signed transactions. And then the last person will submit all three signatures to execute. So we use that transaction service, uh, as well as the Gnosis contracts, but everything else is built from scratch by us. We're a full JavaScript TypeScript stack uh, on the front end, Next, React, on the back end, Node.js, Express, GraphQL, Ethers.js, Alchemy. Um, definitely going to need to try out Essential Ethereum because I've been seeing uh, all the stuff that you've been tweeting about there. Super glad that it's like pretty much one-to-one with Ethers. And yeah, that's kind of super high level what our tech stack is looking like. You know, it's pretty standard for Web3 and that was pretty intentional where we wanted it to be accessible for any developers that we recruited uh, to use the technology that they were familiar with to get them up and running fast. That's something really important for our team. And when we onboard new engineers, it's really important that they put up and deploy a PR in their first day. 
because we want to emphasize that momentum right from the start. It sounds like a fun tech shop to work at too. So uh, I know you all are hiring. If you want to give a quick shill, what are some of the available opportunities for folks? Right now, we're hiring full-time engineers. So if you have worked in crypto or with DAOs, that's preferred. But if you're just curious, that's enough. If you're a strong engineer, it's full-stack web engineering. Um, I will say that for our initial team, at least, we are building it out in person in New York just to be moving a little bit faster. It's not particularly traditional for Web3. So want to get that disclaimer out there because I know that's not for everyone. I love that. And it, with a small team, it's cool that you can be in person. I think for every person who's gung-ho about being remote, there's probably one who's gung-ho about actually getting to see their coworkers because there's a magic to it that allows you to just work through certain things faster if you're in person. And that's me saying this as someone who's been remote for four years. So I know what it's like to go extended periods without coworkers in person or without coworkers at all. <laughs> you're a community-based product. You're helping folks communicate with DAOs. And I would love to do maybe one or two more examples about the DAOs as we come to towards a close here. So your customers are DAOs. You've mentioned that a lot of the heavy lifting you do is through decoding transactions and making the communication easier. How do you do those notifications? How do you make sure things are timely? I think on the aspect of the communications, and this is the big pitfall, and folks in the Gnosis community, or in the SAFE community, I should say, talk about this a lot. And this is going to be one of the big items that we're interested in speaking about once the SAFE DAO launches. The biggest difficulty is this transaction service that I mentioned, where Gnosis stores those off-chain signed transactions. How do we decentralize this repository of signed transactions? Uh, maybe it could be something where it is sent to a transaction service or this open source transaction service software will post it to an IPFS or an Arweave or wherever else. I'm sure some teams probably don't want it going to that transaction service at all, right? If you're trying to be very secretive about what you're doing, let's say you're a trading firm or you're just doing very, very large movements of money and you don't want to get sandwiched or some other way, MEV'd, um, I'm sure you're going to want to keep those things private. So that's definitely the area that we've kind of seen the most friction, but I'm really optimistic about how that will get solved over the next few months or maybe years, just because a lot of folks are very, very aware that this is kind of this central point of friction for the ecosystem. Yeah, and that's the age-old question is how much decentralization do we need and which parts can you decentralize well? So I think it's interesting hearing that they have a centralized service for that. But of course, because of transactions being signed, I assume there's not a place there for manipulation. The only thing they could do is drop their service entirely or like fail to, to collect those 9 of 13. Is that correct? Yeah, so I'm not particularly worried about them turning malicious. It's more about the reliability of access to that API and access to that data. Um, if they started ser serving like fake signatures, the contracts themselves would reject those. So the contracts themselves actually verify that the signatures were signed by one of the owners um, and that it is a correct signature. That's uplifting to know that with 5% of the Ethereum on-chain wealth being in these funds that there's not a massive <laughs> hole right there for security vulnerabilities. Um, I'd love to comment real quick on that topic one 
last thought, and then we could maybe close with a story or a question. So when it comes to the hackathon and quick building that you and I love to do, you know, as entrepreneurs, as builders, there's a massive gap where folks can come build tools within the centralization, decentralization communication layer. So we need something centralized for speed and for the current tech stack. An example is emails. The tech stack around decentralized notifications is still being built. It's not a solved problem. That's like one area folks could consider innovating on. Another would be, I just saw actually a winner from the last ETH Global event was a really interesting caching layer on top of IPFS. So you can do reads and writes to IPFS in one millisecond, but the traditional read and write time to IPFS is between two and five seconds. So this is a centralized layer on top of decentralized. So this this kind of like play between the both is so important to innovate on. And as you mentioned, you plug into a lot of the uh, Gnosis signing communication. What innovations are happening at DEN? Right now, we're really focused on how do we make it really easy to understand what's happening in these transactions. Looking a little bit further out on the technical innovations that we're going towards, that really gets to arbitrary logic that you can set any rules around what can happen. So what does that look like? We have some customers that are collecting yield farm rewards. And if you're collecting five or 10 rewards twice a month, and you need to collect all of your signers for each of those transactions, that's a hassle. What we really want to do is set up these modules with role-based access control. And this role-based access control will say, this one wallet who belongs to a treasury manager, an automated service, whatever, is able to call specifically the claim function on this specific contract. And so this no risk interaction only requires one wallet. And even if all the signers on the multi-sig proper are hardware wallets, you can have a MetaMask that's a hot wallet that doesn't need to be secure doing this claim because there's no technical risk of that sort of rug. And that's a super simple example of what this sort of um, infrastructure enables. But really, the next question is, how do we build these new paradigms and productize these new paradigms so it's super easy for teams to get that 10x, 100x improvement in speed without compromising that security? Wow. I thought that example was flawless. <laughs> I love the idea that there are certain riskier function calls that most of us are aware of. If we're signing transactions, we know that claiming some yield farm wins are low to no risk. In fact, if you wanted to do that with a hot wallet and then take that private key and put it into a secure system you have for auto calling that, that should be possible because you can't be malicious within that function call. And I think that's such an interesting use case I had never considered with multi-sigs. But of course, you all see this because you're deep in the weeds on uh, DAO communication and working on these distributed teams. Um, so with that topic, I feel like we've really addressed a lot here. And I'd love to close with, if you're a Web2 developer, you know, you've just heard your first episode of Dev3, you've heard a lot of words you may be new to, what would you recommend folks? How can they get involved more on starting to code within this ecosystem? I think the best way is to really go to events and meet people because 
I think the harder part about Web3 is not finding resources because there's plenty of resources, especially for beginners. There's a lot of beginner resources. There's a lot of advanced resources. Intermediate, it's a little shaky. But the hardest part is figuring out what's important to learn and what's up to date. And so I think by going to events, whether that's a hackathon that's virtual or in-person and meeting people and working with them and trying to build something together is really going to be the best way to learn. Um, I'm definitely someone that in the past has fallen into the tutorial hell rabbit hole of doing tutorial after tutorial and not actually building anything. So that's why I'm a really ardent supporter of, hey, go to a place where there are other people around you that are building. So you will feel that pressure to build and you will have other folks around you to help you as you are figuring things out. Amazing. And I didn't even prepare you for that question. And I love that the answer was basically hackathons. <laughs> hackathons, it always comes back to, I feel like. Um, so thanks for chatting today. Jonah, where can folks find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at J-I-E-R-L-I-C-H. My DMs are open. So if you're interested in Den, Web3, or just want to chat, feel free to reach out. Excellent. I'll include that in the show notes as well as the Den links we've discussed. Uh, thank you for the time today, Jonah. Hey there, thanks for checking out the podcast today. If you liked what you heard here, please give this a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen on. And don't forget to hit subscribe so that on Monday, when the next episode comes out, you are the first to know.